Welcome, data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt, and this is the Data for Good podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company focusing on data positions across Berlin. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data science, analytics, and engineering, giving you a platform to hear the thoughts and opinions of data leaders from Berlin and beyond. Today, we are joined by Wilhelm Decliner. Director of Products across Berlin, New York, and London at Artsy. Wilhelm, welcome. How are you? Thanks, man. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, so a little introduction to yourself for those um, who don't know. What are Artsy? What, who, what do you do? Um, Artsy is basically a marketplace where you can buy and sell art. Um, we dabble in, you know, fine art, uh, Banksy's, Warhol's, um, both like sculptures as well as uh, paintings mostly. Um, it's mostly the, the higher price points or if you're in the market mm -hmm. for uh, a Richter or something, you're more yeah. than welcome to browse artsy.net. Um, but also we also sell prints and, you know, uh, little, um, more affordable works of art. Okay, nice. So as a director of products at a company such as Art, Artsy, what kind of responsibilities do you have? What's your day-to-day your -day business? So I'm responsible for the platform, which means uh, DevOps, infrastructure, security, data engineering, but also um, the translation from data into insights. So we obviously sit on a huge data layer, um, encompassing all the data that our customers generate, but also market data, historical data, auction results. And we try and turn those into insights so that our um, users can buy art with more confidence. Okay, so, so tell, tell us a little bit more about that. So using the data uh, to provide insights, where do you start? You know, what's really interesting. Um, the art market is seems very different from other markets, right? Because it's very opaque. Um, historically, um, buying art is a super difficult experience because you have to go to a gallery. You basically have to convince them that you're worthy of buying, you know, a nice uh, work by an upcoming artist or even like an established artist. Um, and we're trying to take away that friction by mm -hmm. um, creating transparency, by creating a marketplace. Yeah. And these insights are uh, one of the ways through which we, we try and achieve that. Because it's really easy, right? You can see patterns in markets, just like in, in any other market. Yeah. And um, in art, if you know where to look, if you digest all of the data, you can identify like a handful of galleries that will mm -hmm. have the next Warhol on their roster. Yeah. If you buy one of their works now and 10 years from now, you're guaranteed to make like a, a hundred times or a thousand times on your uh, initial investment. So is the platform leaning towards investments and that market as opposed to, I mean, some people might say when I want to buy a piece of art, it's because I see it and I feel something. I love the way you phrase that um, because that is indeed the balance that we have to um, to keep as product people every day, because uh, a lot of people do see it as an investment. If you're spending upwards of 100K on, uh, on a piece, um, you're gonna want some security, some kind of 
uh, confidence that it's going to retain its value. But at the same time, I mean, um, beauty will save the world. Uh, art is indeed that emotional purchase, that thing that you um, need to feel. So striking a balance between our user needs is one of the hardest things to do as a product manager in art because there's very different personas who have very different you know priorities when it comes to buying art. I mean, some people invest in art and just have it stored away. They don't have a, a big piece in their living room. It's yeah, it's actually a lot worse than that, even because we have some competitors who sell uh, fractions of a piece. So they'll buy uh, a Van Gogh and they'll sell shares in a uh, like a company that owns that uh, that specific piece. So that's really like an investment, almost like a, like a stock that you're buying. Um, we don't do that. We we are in the end about you know selling art to people who are passionate about art and supporting artists that way. We're not um, we're not a financial institution or anything. No, fascinating. And working at Artsy, say if you're in a, a data team, for example, do you find you also have passion for art? Do you have to understand the users? How how does that work day to day? It does help a lot. It took me about six months to fully digest how the industry operates because um, in any industry, whether you work in, if you work at Zalando or you work at, at Farfetch or at Flixbus, those are all um, two-sided marketplaces that have mm -hmm. specifics about either fashion or travel. It doesn't really matter in the end. Anything uh, requires expertise um, that is industry specific. Um, but for art, it's it's kind of it's it's a bit different because um, the art industry um, thrives on opaqueness. It uses mm -hmm. secrecy to inflate prices and to keep people out. It's very um, very exclusive in that. Yeah. That sense. Um, so if you know the way the industry works, it's a lot easier to work with data uh, at Artsy. Um, you get this gut feeling if the price for this uh, medium type by this artist with it in these uh, dimensions is roughly ballpark. Right. Okay. So you've come from, I mean, your previous two companies have been mobility and fintech. Some would be maybe a little bit surprised that you, you take the, the, the direction change into, into art, but what kind of uh, lessons have you brought with you that, have applied to the, the art domain. So um, coming from Flixbus and SumUp, which um, are both a bit larger organizations, mm -hmm. um, that path from scale up to IPO is something that I'm very familiar with. So um, that's something that I'm bringing to Artsy as they are you know, growing. Uh, it's still quite a small company. We have about 250 people, mm -hmm. um, maybe 80 in the engineering org. 80 to 100 um as we're gearing up for that next step for that larger um uh, scale um uh, we can use the expertise that i'm uh, bringing with me from those larger orgs so sorry you're gonna oh, no, i was just gonna say um so building the platform and starting to scale uh, and using your past experiences data quality mm -hmm. 
you you're, you're working with such valuable assets so how do you emphasize the importance of, of data quality data quality is always a topic i think in, in any company this is something that's super hard to do right um mm -hmm. we every company has stakeholders with certain expectations slas um around uh data quality and as a product manager it's it's always the job is always to find out okay which parts of the data do you really care about um, because we cannot guarantee um, accuracy coverage and freshness for everything mm -hmm. um, we have to prioritize of course uh, and in the art world um, the things that people are interested in most is things that make the news so the auction results from last night's auction at Christie's where records were broken those are the things people are googling and we want them to, to land on our pages of course so yeah. Uh, those are the, the pipelines that we um, we keep an eye on uh, most. With the secrecy within the industry, how does that affect your kind of data quality? That's a great question because um, lots of um, auction houses, for example, like, like Christie's, they don't want you to know if a work didn't sell. So that's what we call bought in. It's when um, a work didn't reach the reserve price or didn't reach, you know, the the the, the minimum that the uh, seller wanted for it. Um, so that's when an auction house will scrub the the work from their website. They'll try and make it disappear. Um, but of course, uh, we don't let them. So um, uh, we want to make that that. Um, that information transparent right because it tells you a lot about where the artist is in their career it tells you about mm -hmm. the market for that type of uh, medium or uh, that type of uh, style basically um, so we we do try and make that transparent we've got this price database um, at artsy that you can just look up uh, auction results on for the, mm -hmm. the past couple of years for all of the major auction houses and um yeah, that is that is a contentious thing in the art industry. Is there much prediction work carried out when you, you're not fully aware of prices? Um, we do do that, um, but it's always hard to um, to convey that to a user because if you give them a very specific number, um, mm -hmm. you're most likely going to be off because um, even if work comes up at auction there's usually a range there's like a minimum and a maximum and sometimes the bidding will go on and uh, do like triple the maximum um so um actually it's not called the maximum it's called the high estimate um so that's basically what it is it's an estimate it's a range where we think a work should um should be um so in that sense there's some prediction but the macro predictions are even more interesting because you can predict an artist's career as well. If they got their Masters of Fine Art from this institution, and then they had a solo show at age X, then they went on to be represented by a gallery, by the Karma Gallery, for example, in New York. They're known for being a springboard for uh, up and coming artists. So um, that way you can predict the trajectory that an artist's career will, will have and their uh the price of their works are usually related to those career stages so obviously you have 
um, people wanting to invest in art and wanting to know the prices. It sounds like it's also a case on the other side that they can understand what price point that an artist should be selling their art. Definitely, yeah. Um, um, a lot of the art industry is still, you know, stuck in the 20th or even 19th century where a lot of phrasing and a lot of uh, price points are are done based on gut feeling and based on mm -hmm. connections, based on networks, basically. Um, there is very little automation, very little um, use of, of data in the uh, in the industry. I think we're the one of the one of the few ones, one of the few tech companies, even in in uh, the art industry, who try to do that. Um, most of the competitors who try to do that too are doing it retroactively. So they're doing regression analysis, they're taking a look at um, how things came to be, rather than wanting to predict. So these could be very beneficial for artists earlier in their career and they can maybe understand. Do, do people who want to invest in art, do they prefer trying to, is it like stocks and they're trying to catch an artist early or is it the classics that they want to get a piece of because they know they can't be, can't be done again? Um, over the past two years, while the economy has become a little bit more brittle, um, we've seen a shift from uh, wanting to pick up trending and emerging artists to more blue chip things that retain their value. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's just um, a shift towards conservatism, really. Uh, I mean, works by Warhol have been around for 50 years now. Um, the prices have only gone up. There's thousands of them, um, so they're relatively easy to obtain, uh, yeah. and they'll retain their value. Okay, awesome. Um, talking about technology changing uh, and industries evolving, AI, we thought that AI would come for the mundane jobs. Um, they've decided to go for our creative jobs first, such as writing and art. Um What's the kind of industry's opinions on mid-journey, for example? That's a really good question. Um, did you hear this morning that uh, I think Grimes was in the news because she said, oh, it's fine, just take my music and create new things using AI and I'll split the the um, the profits with the, with the AI. I thought that yeah. was really cool. As an industry, we were hoping that Web3 would, um, would help us facilitate this, um, letting um, artists, also for AI-generated uh, works, be uh, tied to that work canonically on the blockchain so that we could give them a piece of the uh, profits every time a work was sold. Now, Web3 fell through. Um, no art tech company um, is really invested in blockchain technology anymore. We all gave it a try and it um, it didn't really pan out. Um, so um, unfortunately, that way of shepherding AI art into existence is faltered. Now, um, I mean, it, it's all open. Uh, we don't really know yet how to um, facilitate this, how to 
recognize AI versus the, the human that um, created the images that were fed into mm -hmm. uh, Midjourney or, or, or other technology. Uh, so um, if you've got an idea in that space, I think we've got a job for you. Nice. I mean, I I think of, I think the high-end art, what, there won't be an issue there. I think it's maybe more the up-and-coming artists that um, might be a bit of a different trajectory and, and journey for those um with prints etc is this something that i mean uh, the use case i think of outside of art is maybe say louis vuitton with fashion they don't mind being ripped off because mm -hmm. it allows them to increase the prices and it's almost free advertising is this could this be similar in in the art industry that's an interesting thought yeah maybe um so what's great about this is that um, these images, they're, they're digital, right? So in that sense, they are advertising. And in the end, um, you would want a piece with texture, something you can touch on your wall. And we're quite far removed from um, creating 3D uh, art um, by an AI, especially when you think of sculptures or um, installations. Um, those are conceptually still very hard to do for uh, for any ML um, or even a language model or, or yeah. some kind of AI. Um, so I'm really curious to see where that goes. How could we use data to kind of analyze this? That is a really good question. Um, in the end, I'm not sure AI creates new things. Mm -hmm. it, it it generates things based off of the training data you feed it yeah um, and that way so we use data data is always the, the foundation for anything that it creates um but then again something warhol said i think is um uh, good artists copy great artists steal and AI is no different in that sense. It, it just is a variation on the things you, you feed it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's data-inspired uh, art, really. Because art's very much been in the real world and has been for well, thousands of years. We go into art in the digital world, so we can track and analyze what people are spending time clicking on, for example, uh, Instagram. You, you know how long someone spends on an image. Um, are these parameters that we could utilize in the future? The question is always, um, <clears throat> do these data points really tell us what we want to know? Um, because somebody might interact with art very differently from um, a, a pleasing image on, on Instagram or whatever. Um, so I'm not sure that this would work, but, but I'd love to test it. I mean, uh, this, this could be interesting. Um, authenticity is something that's, that's very important in, in the art world, of course, um, in everywhere, really. If you go on mid-journey and you feed it some of your pictures and it um, creates this very um, flashy version of, of you, and you then um, uh, upload all of those images to your Tinder profile, you're going to get banned because authenticity is important there too. Um, mm -hmm. People want the real thing. They don't want um, 
like a very smooth version of reality. Yeah, I mean, something's just come to me there. And I'm thinking, you know how Spotify stream the music and the artists are paid a, what, 0.003 pence per, per stream? Mm-hmm. If someone such as uh, a Warhol um, had a piece of art and they fed all them into an AI, um, someone could have a Warhol, but a unique Warhol on their, um, in their living room. I mean, could that be a development? Would I that love work? how you, uh, you call out Warhol here because uh, he was one of the, well, maybe not one of the first ones, but one of the most well-known people or artists to uh, embrace the factory model where he would employ people to make um, works of art that carried his name on them. Mm. And there's lots of other uh, massive artists that, that do that. Um so yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, I haven't seen it happen yet, but uh, this 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 is definitely going to happen. There's going to be an artist that is going to use AI to to do this. I mean, we even have a colleague, uh, Damon. He's he's an artist. Uh, he makes digital art, um, and this digital art space is always set on the border between um, AI and or, or technology and art. Mm. Is it really art if you use a machine to create something? Um, that's that's a debate. I don't think it's going away uh, anytime soon. It's just uh, fascinating to talk because a lot of the AI stuff is digital world. It's kind of automating content for your blog. But when it's real world stuff and emotive stuff such as art, it's a bit, a bit more closer to the bone when... Uh, we talk about the AI developments. Now, in a in a previous life, so uh, you this is the data for good podcast, so we can't um, not talk about this today. So, you started your own company um, for to try and make a positive impact um, on the world. T- tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um... So when I finished uni, I was a bit more idealistic, uh, a bit younger than I am now. Um, this was around the start of the refugee crisis in, in Europe, in Germany, in the Netherlands. Um, and um, we founded a company that uh, was hoping to streamline um, the experience for refugees arriving on the shores of Greece. Mm-hmm. But also when they made it to the Netherlands, we wanted to use technology to, uh, um, to set them up with locals, make sure that they start learning the language, get some yeah. friends locally, you know, that we thought that that would be the right way forward using technology to basically improve the lives of, of people being displaced by the Syrian war, but also the, the people here um, uh, receiving them and interacting with them. So what kind of uh, incentives or projects did you set up to, to support these, these people? Um, the most basic one was a thing called the Welcome Dinner. Um, me and my friends, we, um, we uh, created a website with a matching system trying to uh, combine uh, locals or, or um, connect them to uh, newly arrived refugees so they would share a meal, invite them into their homes, uh, and 
start off our relationship basically that way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more interesting from a technological perspective, um, uh, business was around um, creating disaster relief uh, products, like for example, an oven that you can put on a beach in Greece where um, people arriving by boat can burn their waste in. Um, it creates heat, of course, to dry our clothes. It emits a Wi-Fi signal so you can uh, look up where to go next. You can charge your phone on them. Um, so those were a bit more ambitious uh, and lots of fun to design. We'd learned so much, but of course, it's super hard to monetize because who's going to yeah. do that sort of thing? No, exactly. But credit to you for um, wanting to do your bit and major lessons learned. What kind of lessons have you taken with you? through what, what a great career you've had in especially in products but what lessons did you learn from those experiences um first of all design of course i mean hardware is, is very hard um these mm-hmm. days in data and software things are um a lot more malleable because they're not as as, as tangible um yeah so that that's a lot easier um, but also monetization. It's a, it's almost a dirty word when you're um, thinking about you know disaster relief or um, yeah or uh, helping people. Um, but back then those companies didn't succeed because um, we, we we were just young idealistic people who wanted to do a good thing. But uh, in order to put a thousand ovens on a beach in Greece, you you gonna need uh, a business case. Yeah, and that's something that. Um, that I learned when I went into product management is um, having great ideas is not enough. Um, you're going to need to to get some funding for them as well. Has the kind of rise in data um, to back up and support ideas, uh, has that increased your kind of um, abilities and success over the years? I actually went into um, the platform space uh, via data engineering because as a product manager, I was always frustrated that I had to wait for for answers. You know, I want to be able to um, create a notebook myself, uh, yeah. get some answers uh, straight from the source, torture the data until it confesses, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's important. The, tr- the truth will come out. <laughs> Dude, yeah, from, from uh, uh, helping people with uh, with refugee prices all the way to uh, torturing data. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I took some courses in, in data analysis because um, I wanted to be able to um, to be autonomous in decision making, and that's how I got into data engineering. And from there, you of course um, you generalize again uh, as you get more teams. Uh, so data engineering um, turns really quickly into infrastructure engineering as well because you need the underlying um, uh, machines to do what you want. And then if you're in the platform spray space, usually you tack on things like security um, or start helping operations teams with like the Salesforce realm yeah. or to CRM uh, and other you know uh, more fundamental services. When you get a taste for data, it is. Sets a fire, yeah. And um, if there's a product manager who's looking to make the most of data and really get into the weeds, what what would you advise? Um, all product managers are are t- have a T shaped skill set, right? Um, 
you have to have that base so that 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 really vertical part of that T um, you have to be strong in, in something um, so you can convince your engineering teams, other product managers, business leaders uh, that you know what you're talking about. Um, officially, my title is something like director of technical product management, but I don't believe in technical product management. I think all types of product management are technical because you need mm -hmm. A very specific uh, skill set. You need something that you're knowledgeable about, something you can use to uh, convince people that you know what you're talking about. And then from there, you can branch out into uh, the generalist uh, part of the T. Um, and um, that's what I would advise to any product managers. First, um, make sure that you know what you're doing in a very specific realm and mm -hmm. branch out from there. Okay. Fascinating. So if someone's necessarily not from a data background there i don't know a specialist specialism is in software engineering mm -hmm. are you advising that stick to your speciality or ex get exposed to data yeah no um stick to it at first because yeah. um you really want to have some expertise to, to build on mm -hmm. um, but then uh, whether you are coming from software engineering or from, from marketing, uh, it doesn't really matter. I think anybody can benefit from understanding the data. Mm -hmm. Also processing, so wrangling data and, and um, even visualizing it isn't super hard these days because yeah. almost anyone can use um, uh, notebooks, for example, or... Um, We've got all these tools. Most companies have like a Tableau license or a Looker license or any kind of visualization license, even Power BI. Um, yep. That gives you an interface to, to get the answers you want. Um, so you can start there. Um, you can do like an, uh, a degree, like a, like a nano degree or a yep. course in, in data visualization or analysis um, that, that helps loads already. And um, uh, after that, it's just storytelling, really. Mm -hmm um great advice i think the rise of the data product manager is certainly um on the horizon and it's interesting to see people um from a technical background so maybe data scientists going into product management which is probably something that we haven't seen um previously maybe we'll finish on a little bit of advice for them so these specialists who maybe have been a senior or staff data platform engineer or staff data scientist and they're not necessarily wanting to go into product management but they're being directed because it's a, a great asset to the business what product management advice would you give to these previously super technical folks um these people um they have a leg up on the competition because they actually um have expertise that is related to the thing that they're going to build. So this is great already. They're, they're in a great position. Um, what I would advise them is um, to be a good product manager. You also need to be able to think strategically and mm -hmm. translate that um, very technical um, bit to very simple terms so that the C-suite or other business leaders understand what the team's actually doing. Yeah. That's often the hardest part is trying to condense all of these things you know and all of the plans that your team has into an image and three words you can put on a PowerPoint slide. Uh, and 
people are often pedantic about that type of work because it seems so much more simple um, yeah. than, um, I don't know, training a model. Um, and it is, but it's also super hard to, um, to do storytelling in a way that it's concise and it gets your point across um, without uh, losing your audience. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great skill because when you're passionate about something, you just want to tell everything you know. I think mm -hmm. a skill for the product management is to tone it down, simplify it. And I think was it um, I can't remember who said it, but if you understand something well, you can describe it very, very simply. Perfect. Um, well, unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. Um, thank you very, very much for your time and your uh, rich insights, Wilhelm. Uh, very relevant as well. Um, the topics we discussed. Um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so the listeners, yeah, please drop your questions and feedback, and um, we'll share those on on future podcasts. And don't forget to like and share so we can reach as many people as possible. But it is bye from us. Thanks once again, Wilhelm. Thank you. Ciao for now. See you.